series, uh, and it's been a, uh, just a, a humbling and uh, educational series for me as I've studied through it. Um, so we're going to do another installment of it this week, and, and I'm excited. Um, if you were wondering, or if you're new, or if you've missed a couple weeks, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So we're going through the first section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is um, usually called the Beatitudes, so all the blessed statements. Um, and it's going to be a great um, uh, morning. It, it's, but but the, the whole idea, the sermon idea, or the series idea is this radical idea that the Father, the good, good Father, loves us. And, and he's called us to live a life um, that he designed through Jesus Christ. And so that's the, the lens of which we're kind of looking at this section of, of Scripture. And um, this is the thing that I want us to be thinking about as we kind of dig into his word this morning, is um, how many of you know where Grace Chapel is going? If that question stirs a little confusion in you, or you're going, oh, I wonder, I don't really know where we're headed. I, I know where we've been, and I know where we are, and I know what our vision statement is, and our values, and I know all the stuff that's going on, but where are we going? If, if you have a hard time answering that question, this message is for you. This message is for you. What is Grace Chapel's new destination what is Grace Chapel trying to accomplish now and in the future? What is Grace Chapel going to be in 2019 and beyond? Imagine if a neighbor walked up to you and said, you know, you talk a lot about this, this Grace Chapel place that you go to, and, and, and I heard a, a year or two ago that you got a new pastor and, and you got a new worship director, whatever that is. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Most people don't know what that is, right? Outside world. What, what, what are you guys doing? Where are you going? What, what, what is new at your church? And if you're the person that would quickly change the subject to the weather, then this message is for you. Those questions sometimes make us uncomfortable. And you might know that our vision is lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you might even know that, that our values are worship, Bible, prayer, community, and mission. You can find all that on our website. You can see it in our bulletin. You can ask any staff member or leader or elder or deacon, and they'd probably tell you that. But if you still don't know where we are going, I'm glad you're here this morning. Because where we're going starts right here, right now. This is where our future starts. Where we're going, believe it or not, miraculously starts with the passage that we get to look at this morning. And it's powerful. So I'm excited to read it to you, but I also want to pray to get us started. So would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, God, thank you for this place. Thank you that we are a group of very imperfect, sinful people that come together under your banner, your gospel, under the sacrifice and the love that Jesus Christ has, has spread among us. And God, I just ask that you would take, uh, you would give us a minute to let all of the, the stuff from our week and from our month fall off us this morning as we look at your word. Allow us to sit at your feet and be our teacher. God, we have open hearts. Help us to have open minds and open ears to the words that you would have us understand. And Lord Jesus, I tremble. I tremble standing here before these people and before you. 
I ask, God, that you would speak through me. That this would be a time that you can speak to your bride. So use my mouth, Lord. In your name, amen. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of Jesus' sermon on the mount. One of the big first moments that he has in his ministry where he speaks to a large group of people and his disciples. So we're going to take it from chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through 12, even though it says 11 on the screen. That's my fault. Sorry, Sarah. I I wasn't able to edit it in time. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. Jesus said, or Jesus, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he sat down. He went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And so he hopefully will teach us. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A fascinating and deep piece of scripture that we read every week during this series. If you missed it, if you didn't catch it, Matthew 5, 7 is our passage this morning, our verse. And it says, blessed, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's an interesting verse for our context this morning. And here we are, right here, right now. You might notice that you don't have statements in your bullets and you have gaps And so my hope is is that you can fill those in as we progress. The first statement, and I'll leave it up there a while so you can write it down. The first statement this morning that will get us started is this. In order to be merciful, we must remember that we have been shown mercy. The interesting thing about mercy is sometimes the only way mercy can come out of us is if we confess to each other and accept the mercy that God gives to us again and again. And you might say, well, Joshua, what do you mean by confess? Because if you could just accept the mercy God gave you, why do you have to confess? Well, here's the thing about confession and repentance among believers, is that it has this really, really good way of bringing you right back to where you were when you first accepted Jesus as your Savior. You see, when you repent or when you confess the things that you've done or are doing wrong, it makes you remember that Jesus extended mercy to you before you even knew who he was. And it brings you back to that moment of complete and utter humility. You need him. You are imperfect without him. You have to have him in your life in order to really grasp what mercy is and how to extend it. Sometimes offering mercy starts with repentance. 
And so I'm going to start us off this morning. There have been times in this year and in last year since I started that I confess to you I have led with my head instead of my faith. And you say, well, that doesn't sound like much of a confession. What do you mean? What I mean is, is sometimes I've interacted with you all as an expert, as someone who's done this before, who's someone who's got the answers, who's someone who, who can see an issue and know immediately what the fix is because I've got a good head and I know what needs to be done. And if that doesn't sound that bad to you, this is the way it plays out as a leader and as a pastor. When you lead with your head, your expertise instead of your faith. See, when you lead with your expertise, you assume you're right just because of the position you hold. And I confess to you that I've done that. I've assumed I'm right because of the position I hold. Sometimes I've jumped to conclusions instead of listening first, praying second, and speaking third. I've made poor decisions because of that. And sometimes if I had just taken a moment to pause and say, Jesus, what are you trying to tell me in this situation? My outcome and my response would have been much, much different than it was. I hope and pray that you'll forgive me and continue to forgive me because you know and I know I'm as imperfect as the next guy. Right? And I will be imperfect until the bitter end. Unfortunately, that is the life that we are living. If you follow me, you will constantly be reminded that none of us are perfect and that I especially need mercy. And if you spend any time with me at all, you know that's true. And this isn't because I'm some horrible horrible person. This is because I am a person. And this is because I have struggles like everyone. You see, Jesus has forgiven much for me, and he will continue to do that because of who he is, not because of who I am. And that is pivotal for a church to understand. I am forgiven much, and therefore, Jesus demands that I forgive much. I've been shown much mercy, so therefore I must show must much mercy. When I come across people that require mercy, I will remember or I will try really, really hard to remember that mercy was shown me first. So I ask you to forgive me as your leader. Show me mercy. Walk with me on this journey, and I will try to do the same for you. Now it's your turn. There are people in this room, or, or, or maybe who sometimes are in this room, maybe they're not even here today, that do not deserve your mercy. They make mistake after mistake after mistake, after mistake. I can tell you that I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve it. I can tell you that I covet it every day, but I don't deserve it. 
Deserving isn't part or isn't the point according to Jesus in this passage. We're not talking about people that deserve mercy. Remember, the mercy that you have been shown and go extend that mercy to those around you. Even if that one guy has said that one thing behind your back that really, really hurts. I hope you do this. I hope you do this for my sake because I need it. I hope you do it for your sake because you will be so much better off if you do. I hope you do it for the sake of the person that you're extending mercy to because they desperately need it even though they don't deserve it. But maybe most of all, I hope you do this for the sake of us. For the sake of this church, this body, this group of believers. You see, the more we repent and extend mercy, the clearer our future becomes. However, the opposite is true. The less we extend mercy, the less we repent, the less we extend mercy, the foggier and hazier our future becomes. Because soon, we will be so frustrated with each other for the wounds that we bear that the only thing that we will be focused on is survival, not the future that God has for us. And here's the hardest part to swallow. And you go, oh my gosh, what you just said was really hard. No, 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 this, it gets a little harder to swallow. I really want this verse to have a different tense. Did you catch the verse? See, I want this verse to say, blessed are the merciful because they were shown mercy. And that's true. Everybody that has put their faith in Jesus Christ has been shown mercy. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, anyone who, anyone who has been shown mercy, or, 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 or blessed are the, are the ones who show mercy because they will be continued to show mercy to. The point of the passage is that if we want mercy to continue, we must offer mercy. And that probably hits you right where it hits me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you saying that if I don't show mercy, I won't get into heaven? Are you saying that if I don't show mercy, that God doesn't love me? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. What kind of father would kick you out of his family. I'll tell you what kind of father. I'm not a very good father. I am saying how God treats you, his permanently adopted son or daughter, depends on how you treat those around you. And that's tough to swallow. The point is, is how you treat those around you really, really, really matters to God. Because he's a good father. So statement number two is this. How we treat God's beloved determines how we will be treated. You see, God does not take kindly to anyone who mistreats his children. Think about it. He's a good father. And it's safe to say that he's a huge fan of people that treat his family well. You don't have to look very far in Scripture to find this concept. Jesus speaks about it all the time. 
Just take a couple of verses, a, you know, a couple of verses forward in chapter uh, 5. You'll see um, that, that Jesus is talking about the fact that God is a father and he's a good father. And if he's a good father, what kind of father would let his son or daughter get mistreated by someone? A neglecting father, really. That's the kind of father that would let that happen. Or at least let that happen with no consequence. Even if the one doing the mistreating is also a son or daughter. And this happens all the time in my family. I don't know about your family, but sometimes my wonderful daughter, she's sitting right here, mistreats my son. And what's my response? Ha, you mistreated him? Get out. Of course not. I wrap my arms around her, and I go, honey, you can do better than that. He's your son. He's your brother. Be kind. Be caring. And she tries it again, and I coach her again, and she tries it again, and I coach her again. And the reverse is also true. My son mistreats my daughter. What kind of father would just go, hey, it's okay, you're still my son. I'm not going to deal with that. No. That's not the way the father works. He gets involved. He disciplines gently at first. And if you don't listen, he disciplines a little harder. And if you don't listen, he disciplines a little harder. You see the hope and the goal and the passion of our fathers that we would listen to him. And that we would make progress and that we would grow in this and we would be like him. I think we have this weird misunderstanding in the body, in the church, that we can just kind of treat each other however we want because God loves me and it's fine. And he does love you, but he wants you to grow. And if this idea doesn't make you think twice about how you treat your fellow brothers and sisters, I'm not sure what will. It sends me kind of quaking to the bottom of my feet. And I bet you're thinking right now what I'm thinking. Well, what the heck does mercy look like? Let's figure that out, right? Let's figure out what mercy looks like. I'm glad we're thinking all the same thing. Let's let's talk about that. Who do we know that's really good at mercy? Your dad, your mom, your great uncle? The weird uncle that only comes to Thanksgiving? Who does mercy well in your family? And maybe you're in a situation where you don't know. <laughs> you can't think of one person that does mercy well in your family. I know a guy. I know a guy who does it really well. In fact, he wrote the literal book on mercy. His name is Jesus. He wrote the book on mercy. And you think about the way Jesus treated people. And you say, well, if he's treating people with mercy, what does mercy look like? Does it look like he didn't ever disagree with anybody? Of course not. He vehemently disagreed with people. Take the, the clearing of the temple, Matthew 21, Luke 11, Luke 9, or Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 2. It's in the scripture. He disagreed so passionately about what was going on in the temple that he cleared it aggressively and angrily. <laughs> He disagreed. So treating people with mercy does not mean you just don't disagree. It doesn't mean that you just put up a fake wall and everything is fine and it doesn't really matter what you do because I'm just, I'm going to be, I'm going to be cool. We're not going to ever talk. So what does it mean to be merciful? Did he just disagree with some people and then not associate with them anymore? 
Did he just kind of divorce them out of his life and just say, you know what, we disagreed. I'm not, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. Or did he associate with those he disagreed with? We always get this picture of Jesus hanging out with the, the, the sinners and, the, and the, the low lives and the people that society rejected, and he did that. He associated with them, but he also associated with the people that didn't think they needed him. He associated with all kinds of people. In fact, it's safe to say he associated with sinners. Jesus associated with sinners. Whether they understood themselves to be sinners or not, Jesus associated with them. He would get into an argument with the Pharisee in the, in the, in the temple, and then he would go to dinner with him that night. So, showing mercy doesn't mean you don't associate with them. It means you do associate with them. And here's the kicker. What did Jesus do? What was his, one of his biggest acts of mercy? What did Jesus do to start? What did he have to do to get to the party? We know he was at the party. What did he do to get to the party? Just to start hanging out with sinners, whether they knew they were sinners or not. Listen to what Paul says about one of Jesus' acts of mercy. Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's Philippians 2. Jesus set aside his equality with God for a time just to spend time with people that disagreed with him or that would disagree with him. And then he spent more time with them. And then he loved them more. And then he loved them more. And then he sacrificed himself for those people. That's mercy. And he did it all just to spend time with them. His desire is to be united with us. In Aaron's class this morning, we were talking about Ephesians 4. We were talking about John 17 and this idea that Jesus' desire is, is for us to unite with him. And in doing so, we unite with each other. And the crazy thing is, is when we do that, we show the world who God is. So you might say, oh, I, I want to be more evangelistic than that. I want to be focused on the world out there. One of the ways that we do that is we love each other. We treat each other well. Mercy <clears throat> is treating others well despite the, their circumstances or their actions. But the real question is why? And it's true that we can be motivated to show mercy because we really want God to continue showing us mercy. That's a motivation, and Jesus says it. But there's more. There's more to that motivation. Statement number three, mercy is putting aside self to take up the responsibility of others. Mercy is putting aside self to take up the responsibility of others. Yes, I know they don't deserve it. Even that person. But chances are, if they don't deserve it like me, they really, really need it. Taking up the mantle of communal responsibility is a noble task 
and it is required of us of Grace Chapel if we are going to go forward in the direction that the Father wants of us. We have to care about how we treat each other if we want to move forward in the direction that he wants us to. We have to be responsible for those around us. And this means we have to put aside our differences. And we have to unite under the banner of Jesus' gospel. And we have to extend mercy to each other. Statement number four. Mercy is the start of Grace Chapel's future. And it starts right here, right now. See, we cannot move forward until we remember that repentance is part of our DNA. We cannot move forward um, for what God has for us unless we take seriously how we treat each other and what we say about each other and what we say in private about each other. Here's a good rule of thumb, in case you're wondering. Good rule of thumb. If you wouldn't say it with them in the room, just don't say it at all. Just don't say it at all. The future of Grace Chapel is in jeopardy if we think how we treat and and what we say about one another isn't of utmost importance. So back to our question. Where's Grace Chapel going? Where are we going? What does the future look like? What are we aiming for? We know that along the way, our lives will be transformed transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our vision statement. Right, And we know we hold to our values of worship, prayer, mission, Bible, and community. But those things, as amazing as they are, are not our destination. Those are things we do along the way. The destination is something else. Some have thought and said that Josh and the leadership care more about Sunday morning than they care about anything else. I have no interest of being a Sunday morning show. Although excellence in worship should be a huge value to us. Others have theorized that I don't care about those that are here because I focus so much on those that are coming or have have yet to come. And I have no interest in being a seeker-friendly church if that's the definition that you give that. Although newcomers in our midst must be welcomed with open arms. And some have even said, Josh just wants to be like the church that's down over there on exit 10. You know the one we're talking about. And this is even laughable because not only do I have no interest in becoming a mega church, I'm really, really bad at it. Just look around, right? Although caring, a caring and passionate community is incredibly attractive to every person with a soul. (laughs) And so I believe that a good, thriving, passionate community will grow a church. I believe that. No, the place we're going is of intimate community. That's driven by God's desire. That's the place that we're going. One direction, our direction, is a thriving, growing community that holds the gospel as our compass and Jesus as our guide. That's where we're going. 
And we will become a community who is first and foremost, who first and foremost bears each other's burdens with mercy in our actions. Who secondly, worships with passion in our voices. And third, who prays with faith in our hearts. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that Grace Chapel will become if we start this morning with mercy. You see, we could bear each other's burdens in mercy with our actions, with what we say, with what we do, how we interact. And so many of you just this week have shown me mercy after mercy after mercy. And I might just give you a firm handshake and say thanks, but I go home and I cry about it. It matters to me. And it matters to me that we treat each other that way. When we worship, we worship with passion. And that's just not a Sunday morning song set, although that's really important. And Matt and I work really hard at putting together our worship service so it reflects God's glory in our skill sets. We worship Sunday morning Monday morning, Tuesday morning, and on into our future. And we do it with passion because we know what Jesus has done for us. That's where the passion comes from. And we pray with faith in our hearts. We pray knowing that God is in control, knowing that he has a plan, and knowing that he will be victorious in it. That's where we pray. Where we're going determines where we start. Grace Chapel has a rich, rich history of being sensitive to the Spirit, of being a united community, and being focused on those around us that don't know the Lord. It has a rich history of that. We've been handed a gift with the first chapter of this church. And here we are in the first or second paragraph of the second chapter, and we need to remember that. But we also need to know it probably is going to look a little differently. After all, it is 2019. Some say Grace Chapel used to be a family and it isn't the church that it once was. I've heard that. Rumors and little gossip trails hitting my ears. And I agree. Grace Chapel isn't the church that it was. But we are a family. We are a family. And a family that is centered around Christ doesn't slander itself. A family that shows mercy over being justified doesn't gossip. And a family who bears each other's burdens doesn't have malice towards each other. We have to start with mercy. This family will become a growing, thriving community who bears each other's burdens with mercy in our action, who worships with passion in our voices, and who prays with faith in our hearts. This family doesn't quit. It doesn't walk out. It doesn't give up. This family will know, value, and love each other and the newcomer. And this family will work really, really hard towards unity. And that means putting aside our differences, our preferences, or us being right. 
That's the place God has given me a vision for and a passion for. And that's where we're headed, if you'll follow me. So where are we going? That's where we're going. That's where we're going. And you might be going, oh my gosh, how am I going to articulate this when my neighbor asks me, right? How do I say that? I'm glad you asked that question. We have a theme verse for 2019. This is the verse that will remind you of where we're going and how to get there. This passage perfectly describes Grace Chapel's direction, and I hope you write it down. I hope you memorize it. I hope you, you refer to it often. I hope you ask Crystal to put a tattoo of, on it on your forehead. Do whatever it takes. This is important. This family will become what Paul describes in Colossians 3.12. Listen to what he says. Therefore, Grace Chapel, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I want to take an opportunity to do something. Half of them knew I was going to do this. The other half, it's going to be a surprise. Can I have the elders of Grace Chapel just stand up for a minute? I won't embarrass you. I won't put you on the spot. You stand up. This is our elder board. This is Kevin, Chris, Tom, R.A., Jim, Phil, Andy, Jake, and me. Now, our hope and our desire is to interact with you. You guys can sit down. Thank you. Our hope and our desire is to interact with you, and you would be a fool if you think we do this perfectly. We do not. And half the time we sit in our meetings and we argue about how to do it better. But we love you. We love you deeply. And even though we're flawed, we're, kind of, we're trying to come up with way after way after new way to connect with you. And you might be saying, well, I've been going to this church for 10 years and I didn't know they were my elders. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And we're sorry. But we're trying to fix it. So we do silly things, like we, we try to show up and greet you at the door. We get up here and we pray over the service. Our elders have a list of people that recently we have decided to do this. We are going to call you, and we're going to have really awkward conversations with you around 5 o'clock at night. And we're going to say, hi, I'm your elder, how's it going? And it's awkward, and it's weird, and I know, but we're trying we're trying to connect with you. We want to hear how you're doing. We want to know how we can pray for you. We want to know what you're afraid of. We want to know what you're excited about. We want to know what you think of the vision and the future of Grace Chapel. Do you have any ideas? 
were the first group of men to say, yes, we're going to screw this up over and over and over, but we ask that you give us mercy. And it's going to take some elders longer to get through their list than other elders because that's just the way things work. And if you might go, well, I don't know if I'm on that list, I can help you with that. We pray once a month for you. And there's a whole group of prayer requests that are confidential and private. And we bear those burdens for you. And we pray for you. And there's another group of prayer requests that are public that everybody knows about. And we pray for those as well. And we're figuring this out as we go. And we are learning and we're growing and we're, and we're being strengthened by the Spirit in this. So we want to know, if you have a problem... We want to be the first to know. Call us up. Shoot us an email. Our email addresses are on our web, the website. But even better yet, come to us. Grab us. Say, hey, I want to talk. You got a praise report? Something awesome has happened in your life or in your family? We want to know about it. We want to celebrate with you. Need something, somebody to pray over you with authority and with passion? That's what your elders do. They pray over you. Come to us. If you have an idea that you think would help Grace Chapel, of course we want to be the first to know. And we, in turn, are trying to connect with you. This morning, we have the miraculous opportunity to participate in communion. And this marks the first step into our future together in becoming the community that bears each other's burdens, worships passionately, and prays with faith in our hearts. And I want to start that with communion. Because by taking communion, you're saying, I remember Jesus' sacrifice and I thank him for it. And this is a moment I have to participate in this ceremony until he comes back. This is an act of mercy. You are literally eating and drinking elements that remind you of the mercy that Jesus gave you first before, he even, before you even knew he, he existed. By participating in communion, you're saying, I'm part of a body that treats each other with mercy. Because the reason that we are a body is because of his mercy. So we get to do that this morning, and I didn't plan it. I didn't even plan the passage this morning. I planned that months in advance. So let's take communion together in remembrance of Jesus who showed us mercy while we were still strangers. And this is how we'll do it. If you've never taken communion with us before, it's okay. It's not weird. We'll do it in a normal way. I'm going to read a passage in a minute. And then I'm going to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to take the elements and I'm going to sit down. And when you feel the Spirit nudge you, when he convicts you and, and you're ready, maybe it's immediately, maybe it's not, just sit and listen. When that happens, come up together as a family and take the elements. We have gluten-free over here on the far left if you have dietary restrictions because we care about you. We don't want you to get sick. So let me read to you this passage. This is our brother Paul again to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Paul says, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, 
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is Jesus' act of mercy towards you, a person that doesn't deserve it. Let's pray. Jesus, the fact that you would set aside your godship for a moment and come and walk among us, listen to us and, and, and speak to us and teach us, and then you would get on that cross and you would give your life for us is a testament to your love for us and your desire to be connected to us. And God, I ask that that idea rests in our hearts. That not only did you love us, you valued us enough to do this. And God, by taking communion, we're admitting that we're flawed we're admitting that we do not deserve mercy or forgiveness, but we desperately need it. God, I ask that this moment in time would be the mark of the first step of direction in the future of Grace Chapel, and that it would be marked by your blood and your sacrifice because of what you've done for us. And that as a church, Lord, that we would not forget where we came from. And that we would not lose sight of where we're going. And it's marked by you. So be our guide, Jesus. Be our hope. Be our strength. Be our reminder that we cannot do this alone. Lord God, encourage the weary. Bring peace to the downhearted. And give us courage for the future. And as we take these elements, Lord, be glorified. In your name, amen.